0: You're listening to a Cripple and Co-Production. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Clonawilly.com. Clonawilly and ClonaPussy are do-it-yourself molding kits that allow anyone to make an exact replica of any penis or vulva into a sex toy at home. your own Clone-A-Willie or Clone-A-Pussy, how to use the kit. They're so, so willing to go on this journey of cloning a willie or cloning a pussy with you. And they're super nice and super responsive to any concerns. So if you want to pick up your own Clone-A-Willie or Clone-A-Pussy kit right now, head over to clone and use promo code DARKPOD. That's D-A-R-K-P-O-D at checkout right now. And remember... This is a deal that cannot be cloned. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at come as you are dot com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. This is a podcast that looks at disability stories. It's like sitting down with a really close friend to have a real conversation about disability, sexuality, and everything else about the disability experience that we don't talk about. The things about being disabled, we keep in the dark. Here is your deliciously disabled host, disability awareness consultant, Andrew Gerza. Well, hello, hello, friends. Thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. Hello! Thank you for being here. Uh, I am your deliciously disabled daddy host, Andrew Gerza. Let us get come be cozy, and crippled, and get the show started, shall we? First things first, happy holidays. Thank you so much for being here. If you celebrate Christmas, it's Christmas Eve when you're listening to this. Thank you so, so much for supporting the show and being here and listening on the holiday thank you um if you want to support the show one of the ways that i would love for you to do that is if you could please go to wherever you get the show and if you could leave us a five-star review on why you like the show and why it's important to you that would mean a lot to me so if you could please leave us a review i would really really appreciate it it really helps the show and it helps me get picked up by other advertisers and things like that so i really appreciate if you could do that for me. Just leave us a review. Say, hey, Andrew's show's amazing. We love that he makes it from his bedroom. We love that they said that they do all the editing by themselves. We love that they get their own guests. We love all the things about the show. If you could leave that kind of review, I would really, really appreciate it. If you want to support the show financially, you can go to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark and you'll get the show... Hopefully, if I can get the editing done a couple of days early, and you'll get the show completely ad-free with a shout-out from me on the air. So if you would like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash disability after dark. But now, let's get to the show. The first thing I have to tell you is more about a personal life journey that I've been going through, and not so much about the show. I finally think... I've discovered how to fix my tummy troubles after like five years of constantly living with IBS pain. I think I found something that will finally work for me and I just want to kind of share with you because I think we're all friends here and, you know, I did that whole series on the show a while back called "The Shit Is Real where I talk about my experiences with guests around poo stuff. So I felt like I could bring this to you guys, to you folks. Um, And I want to just tell you that I've discover that if i take two helpings of two like two doctor prescribed helpings of a laxative every day my tummy doesn't hurt anymore and i'm able to go poo without a problem which you know for me dealing with ibs every day and being severely disabled has been a big big change for me i found that my mood is better i found that i'm a whole lot happier to do whatever i have to do in my day um, my tummy literally doesn't hurt. I'm able to, to, to go out and not be worried about that, and I feel so much better. And I just can't believe that after five years of suffering, at least for now, because who knows, it might change, but at least for now, I feel comfortable. And I feel like that's such an important thing to bring up to disabled folks, because we deal with pain all the time, and we deal with chronic issues all the time, and doctors never know how to deal with it, and you try so many different things, And it doesn't get better, and it doesn't feel good, and no one can help you. And then one day, you might find something that relieves the pain, and it's like you're a whole new person. And I have to tell you, over the last couple weeks of me taking this laxative, I feel like a completely different person. And I just wanted to say, I, I feel good. I definitely don't want to say I feel cured, because I don't want to... Pretend like I'm still not chronically ill, because I am. That could change at any point. But the fact that I'm feeling better is something I feel like everyone with chronic illness and disabilities should celebrate it. Because we rarely get a moment to feel that way. So I just wanted to bring that to your attention and say, I think I finally found something to fix my shit problems. Wow! Um, And I just wanted to share that with all of you, because I feel like we're all friends and we can talk about these things. We are shining a light on disability stories and that has been a part of my disability story for a very long time so thank you for letting me get that off my chest and to bring that to you and to let you know that i'm finally feeling better which feels really weird to say i I continually will feel like an imposter for a while but there it is and i hope for all of you living with chronic illnesses and things that doctors don't know how to fix or don't know how to make better i hope that one day you find something that brings you relief too and i'll be here for you if you want to celebrate that but now let's get on with the show i thought for today i wanted to do another what's your condition episode and if you're new to the show and you don't know what what what's your condition episode is let me give you a quick rundown on what that is i created what's your condition episodes because so many times when you go on dates with somebody or you set up a date with somebody through an app, one of the very first things they ask you is, "So, what's your condition or what's wrong with you?" And you know, you could just tell them to Google it. But sometimes when they Google the stuff, the stuff Google tells you can be more can be really scary. And I thought it would be fun to do another what's your condition episode on A disability that I don't really understand a lot about, and I want to learn more about. Um, And so I thought we would do a "Watch Your Condition" episode on spina bifida because I don't know a lot about it. I've had some friends, some friends through childhood, and some friends, some friends of friends of mine have spina bifida. But it's it's a new, not a new condition, of course not, but it's a new condition for me to learn about. So I thought we could all learn about spina bifida together, and we could go on the Google machine. And do our research on the google machine to see if you're going on a date with somebody and you tell them you have spina bifida what kind of things are they going to pull up when they um when they google your condition and they google what your disabilities are and i want to do that with you and so we're going to do what is the condition what is the history of the condition what is the etymology of the condition as in what is spina bifida mean and how How is it classified? We're going to do some of the mythology around Spina Bifida. We're going to look at that. Um, We're going to look at how it affects people in their day-to-day experiences. Um, And then we're going to look at, you know, some of the stats around Spina Bifida as well. We're going to do all those things together. Um, And I think we'll have a good time. Just a cozy, fun Sunday afternoon learning about Spina Bifida together. So let's get comfy, cozy, and crippled and actually start the show. Okay, so let's talk about what Spina Bifida is. And let me kind of read what the definition is from the Google machine. Spina Bifida is Latin for split spine, and it is one of a class of serious birth defects called neural tube defect. It is an abnormality of the folding of the posterior surface of the embryo, which normally forms the vertebral column with its muscles and the spinal cord and the spinal nerves. So it basically means there's a gap in the spine. Um, in Greek, the term for spina bifida, I just looked it up, hang on. In Greek, spina bifida is called cleft spine, or sometimes also known as spinal, dysraphism and rafe in greek means seam so according to this definition it is a midline defect that occurs during the embryonic period the insufficient closure of one or more of the vertebral, of the vertebral arches is the result of an incomplete junction of the neural tube so basically it's an inc- it's a gap in the spine of the baby like a hole and oftentimes from what I'm seeing on the images here, babies with spina bifida will have a hole in their spine where you can see there, you can basically see there, there's like a shelf there, there's like a gap there. Um, and it is usually in the lower back, but in rare cases, it may be in the middle back or neck. There are a bunch of different types of spina bifida, which I'll get to in a minute. Yeah, so generally, it's a gap in, or it's a hole in, in between the vertebrae. Yeah, that's what I'm seeing here. It's a hole between the vertebrae that's open. And so I'll put an image of this in the show notes so you can see what I'm looking at. But, um... Trying to read here and see what it says. Hang on, let me let me do a Google, and I'll come back with more info. They say that it typically causes mild issues, sometimes including bowel and bladder problems, sometimes including the ability to walk, um, sometimes including uh, hydrocephalus, and often. A latex allergy. I didn't know that a lot of a lot of people with spina bifida are often dealing with latex allergy. Um, Spina bifida is believed to be due to a combination of genetic and environmental factors. After having one child with a condition or if one of the parents has the condition, there's a 4% chance that the next child will be effective. Not having enough vitamin B9 in your diet can, during pregnancy can, can affect this. Other factors include any seizure meds, obesity. I don't like how we've included obesity as an issue here because I feel like that's a bit fatphobic, but I get it. Um, and poorly controlled diabetes can possibly affect and be a risk factor for spina bivida. Most cases of spina bivida can be prevented. If the mother gets enough folate before and during pregnancy. And usually, it's saying here that usually people with spina bifida also have to do catheterization. So to my spina bifida folks out there, hey, IFCP, but I know what that's like. What up? Catheters, cool, 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 cool. It also says here that Rates of Spina Vivida vary significantly by country from 0.1 to 5 per 1,000 births. On average, in developed countries, including the United States, it occurs in about 0.4 per 1,000 births. In India, it affects about 1.9 per 1,000 births. And Europeans are higher risk compared to other people didn't know that, didn't know that at all. Now let's go into a little bit more of the history of Spina Bifida, and let's talk about that, because I found some things that I thought were kind of interesting when it comes to the history of that, so let's look at this for a minute. Um, Spina Bifida was first discovered by Hippocrates, born 460 BCE on the island of Greece. And the first definitive description of Spina vivida was made by Dutch clinician Peter van Forest in the late 1500s. I tried to look up more of Peter van Forest, but he all I could find was that he was a clinician for a bunch of years in the 1500s and the photo that I found of him looks like a creepy Santa Claus. So that's pretty much all there was that I could find about him. But I found that the person that coined the term spina bifida was somebody, was a doctor by the name of Nicholas Tolp, whose real name apparently was Kleis Persusun. coined the term spina bifida in 1641. I wish I could tell you that this guy was a great was a great part of our history but he did some things with the East India East India Trading Company which is really horrible and a whole bunch of colonization happened there and apparently he wrote a book called The Book of Monsters because he would bring animals back from from exotic places and then do experiments on them so not the greatest dude um but he also coined the term for migraine that we know today, and he understood the term for that, that we understand today. He did some cool things, but he was, of course, an old-timey white dude, so he also did some pretty horrible things, too. But he is the one who made spina bifida, and the term that we know is spina bifida today, popular. Let's look at some of the key markers of spina bifida and how spina bifida may present for a person and some of the things they deal with. The very first thing it says when I typed in what are some of the key symptoms of spina bifida, I see that if your partner or paramour was googling spina bifida so they could learn more about it, they may see bladder and bowel problems could be one of the first things that somebody with spina bifida experiences. And as somebody else With a different disability who also experiences bladder bladder and bowel things, hello, welcome to the club. Somebody with spina bifidae may also experience sexual dysfunction. They may have issues with orgasm and ejaculation, fun. They may also have a weakness and loss of sensation below the defect. So they may have trouble feeling certain parts of their spine or certain parts of their legs. Um, depending on where the defect presents for them. They may also have the inability, inability to move their lower legs, they may have paralysis, and they may also have other cognitive impairments. Somebody with Spina bifida may also live with orthopedic malformations, such as club feet, or problems of the knees or hips. I really don't love that, like, right away, the very first thing you see if you were Googling spina bifida was bladder and bowel problems, and right underneath that, sexual dysfunction. That really bothers me, because if you're trying to learn about somebody with spina bifida and you want to, quote, do your research, and this is what your research brings up, I can see how, in our culture, not that it's right, but I can see how somebody that wasn't educated about how these things affect somebody, reading that would would probably feel a bit scary, frankly. And I wish that we could find other ways to talk about the markers of spina bifida and the markers of other disabilities also that are not as direct as this is and not as, like, kind of rude. I also don't think saying that someone has a club foot is a medical term or a polite thing to say. Um, And I think the way that, that some of these things are Worded is really kind of gross and really super ableist, and I don't love that. I'm also reading here that Spina Vivida can present with a lot of scoliosis or curved spine. And to my friends with Spina Vivida or just scoliosis, hey, I see you. Hello and welcome. Having a curved spine is so cool. Welcome to the club. It also says here that a lot of folks with spina bifida may have to use a mobility device like a wheelchair, a walker, or a cane. And to you I say, welcome friends, mobility devices are our freedom, they are really cool, and if you are living with spina bifida and you use a mobility device, I see you. Welcome, welcome. Usually when Googling disabilities and learning about disabilities, there are so many mythologies that come along with it. So I thought it was important to take a minute and look at the mythology around Spina Bifida and debunk some of the myths. I can't say myth, so I'm going to say mythology. Debunk some of the mythology around Spina Bifida and make sure that we have our facts straight. So to do that, I went to the Spina Bifida Resource Center so that I could learn more. And let's debunk some myths together see I can't say myth I can't do it I just can't do it so the biggest myth that I see so far is myth number one spina bifida can only be diagnosed after birth it says in some cases this is true however it is not always entirely straightforward most times spina bifida will be diagnosed before birth using an ultrasound But there are instances where one type of spina bifida may go undiagnosed until adulthood. And in some cases, it may never get diagnosed. This spina bifida is called spina bifida occulta. The second myth, myth number two. People who have spina bifida cannot have other issues or conditions. This is not true. They can have anencephaly, which is an absence of the top of the brain. Ooh, fun! That's fun! That sounds like a really fun thing you get to do. It's fun. They may also have something known as spine, Spinaritoid Entrapment Disease, which is a degenerative disease of the shoulder and spine. Or they may also have Myolomengicil, a condition in which the baby's back is enclosed in the abdominal wall, which causes a partial deformation of the spine. This is usually accompanied by a facial deformity. Fun! So fun! And they may also have umphalocele, which is a miscarriage of a newborn due to sac contents moving to the fallopian tube. Or they may also have tardive dyskinesia, a condition in which the muscles controlling speech are abnormal. So, there are a lot of other things that can come along with just spina bifida. So, I think it's important that if you are living with spina bifida, obviously you know how you're affected. But if you're learning about it, it's just like saying people with CP can only have CP, people with cerebral palsy can only have cerebral palsy. Not true. We can have anxiety, depression, Um, we can have many different things that affect our ability to to live in the world. And so I think it's important that when we do our research, we look for places like that are accredited. We don't just Google, you know, what is this like I'm doing now. I'm doing it to to make a point, but we really have to do our research to understand. And also maybe, you know, if you're if you're wanting to go on a date with somebody who lives with spina bifida, just ask them, hey, how does spina bifida affect your body? How does it affect you? And what are the things that I need to know for us to have a good time together, period. Another myth about spina bifida is that people with spina bifida are always intellectually disabled. Not true. It says that although many people with spina bifida will have a level of cognitive impairment, who knows what they mean when they're saying that, this condition is not accompanied by a complete loss of mental capacity. Generally, people with spina bifida have milder degrees of mental impairment than people without the condition. I don't like the ableism within that terminology. That's really, it just feels super ableist and I don't love that. It just feels wrong to say. I, I would say that some people with spina bifida may have cognitive impairments. I have a cognitive impairment. I don't know directions. I don't know North, South, East, West ever. It doesn't matter if you tell me a thousand times, I'll never learn it. I have learning disabilities, which I guess could be considered a cognitive impairment. I just don't like the way in in these medical journals, it's treated like it's something that's so wrong. And then, for some gross reason, this article decides to tell me the IQ of people with Spina Vivida is pretty close to the normal range of people without Spina Vivida, but I feel like that's super ableist and I don't support that being in there. It just feels super... I just don't like it. It just makes me feel kind of ick and gross and I don't like the way that it's worded. I don't like the way they're talking about it as if as if Spina Vivida is the scary thing and if people with... They're talking about people with intellectual or incognitive impairments like they're somehow less than. And of course they are. It's a medical It's a medical description. But I just don't like it. I think it's in 2024, almost basically, we should not be talking about disabilities like this. It's gross. I don't care where your IQ is. If you're a good person, I don't care. And we shouldn't care. And IQ feels like it was designed by some w- bunch of white scientists who were trying to make racial ideas about other people. That's what it feels like. Actually, I'm going to pause right now and we can learn who discovered IQ. And why are we even surprised? The IQ test was, was, came into being around, around 1905 with scientist Alfred Binet and Theodore Simon as they designed a vast collection of tests to measure the cognitive abilities such as logic and reasoning of the children in France who had to go to school and they would do these tests to determine their eligibility to be educated whether or not they needed individualized attention. Binet and Simon believed that the the IQ tests would reflect general intelligence. However, there was a big problem with this. Intelligence to this day has no standard definition. This allowed for individuals and governments to use these tests to serve their own agendas. Well, no shit, not surprised at all. These tests quickly became a method for discriminating between classes and races and a flawed justification for sterilization and murder. So I'm not loving that we would talk about the IQ of somebody with bit, but I don't love that, super ableist, don't love it, not loving that, no, 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 and I'm not surprised that that's in there, but that just shows you how far we have to go when it comes to talking about these conditions, and how much ableism is in our understanding of these conditions, and if you go to learn about these conditions, be prepared to bump into a bunch of ableism, and that's gross. It also says that people with spina bifida are more likely to develop anxiety and depression. And also, as somebody who lives with anxiety and depression, Hey! Welcome! Anxiety and depression, what up? How you doing? Welcome to the club, hello! The next myth I see here is Babies with spina bifida And children with spina bifida cannot have a good life. They at least do one good thing in this mythology report. They tell you that there are many people who think that children with spina bifida can never have a good life because they will always have some level of mental or physical impairment. This is not the case at all. People with spina bifida are no more likely to have a, quote, good life than people without the condition. Except for, you know, the ableism that you'll throw at them. They'll have a great life if all of you weren't super ableist to them and talked about their IQ. God, they'd have a great life if you just leave them be. I like this one. They say, myth five, people with spina bifida can never date or get married. And it says very plainly here, many people are surprised to learn that people with spina bifida can't get married unless they're on benefits. And then you probably can't because your benefits will be cut off because people on benefits, regardless of their disability, can't get married. Boo! Marriage equality for all. People with spina bifida are not locked out of the dating scene, it says here. They are not, quote, forbidden from getting married. And I say they are not forbidden from getting married unless you're on benefits. In which case, you totally are forbidden and you're probably not going to get married. Because our laws around marriage equality and disability supports are horrible. So, I hope you can date and get married, I really do. But, if you're on benefits, that's not happening. Sorry, friends, at least not right now. I also think that this myth is really important, and they say that myth, this myth says that spina bifida is contagious, and they say very plainly here, spina bifida is in no way contagious. It is a birth defect that happens after conception. And I think this is important that they put this in there because so many people think that certain disabilities are contagious, that you're going to catch it, that it's a problem. And I'm really, I really like that they debunked this myth because so many people are afraid of that, especially when it comes to talking to someone on an app about their disabilities. Some people can say really harmful things like, am I going to catch it? So I'm glad that they let us know that you cannot catch spina Bibida. I was just reading that a lot of people with spina bifida live with urological conditions and get a lot of infections due to the need for catheterization and the need for um, the need for urinary drainage. So if you have spina bifida and you're listening, uh, please drink a ton of water because I don't want you to get a UTI or more serious urological infections because that shit sucks and I've been there too, so... Please drink water and please, um, if you're going to go on a date with somebody with spina bifida, uh, be cool about it, but be like, hey, maybe you take a sip of your water so you don't get urinary tract infections because I think you're hot and I want to mess around with you later. And so in order for you to not get infections, drink your water. Just a thought. You know, if you go on a date with me too, tell me to drink water, because I also don't drink enough water. So definitely tell me to drink water too, because I use catheters, and I certainly don't drink enough water sometimes. And you can, if we go on a date, you can tell me to drink water. I just read a statistic that says that 75% of people with penises who have spina bifida can deal with erectile dysfunction. And I'm just here to tell you that if you are somebody with a penis with spina bifida who has erectile dysfunction, it's okay if your genitals don't work the way that we, quote, expect them to. It's totally fine if you receive pleasure in other ways and it's totally fine if you can't get hard. That's all right. And I, I'm here to tell you that it's okay because I know that if you if you said to somebody, oh, I have spina bifida and they Google that, they might think, oh no, this person with the penis with spina bifida that I care about or that I like or that I want a bone can't get hard. What do I do? It's okay that the person with spina bifida can't get hard. There are other ways they can maintain and achieve pleasure and you can spend time with them figuring that out. So if you're Googling that and you're thinking, oh no, somebody with spina bifida can't get hard. it's all right. They they still deserve pleasure. And if you read that and it turns you off from dating somebody with spina bifida, well, you really need to check your ableism because that sucks and do better. But if you are one of the people listening with erectile dysfunction and spina Bivida, I see you and I support you. When it comes to people with vaginas who have spina bifida. Of course, what I'm reading here is that, according to the, some medical journal that I'm reading, according to the, let me see where this comes from, the National Library of Medicine, in an article published in 2021, The Sexual Function of Males and Females with Spina bifida, they said, and I quote, Female sexual function and treatment is less well understood. Women or people with vaginas, let's get it right, people with vaginas with spina bifida may experience decreased arousal, difficulties with, with orgasm, and pain. No treatment has been studied in women. Only treatment's been studied in penis-having men with disabilities? Oh, gross, I hate that. Of course, women with women with spina bifida or vagina-having people with spina bifida would be discounted and not really studied. That's horrible! I hate that! Gross! Ew! Okay, doctor friends out there, we need to study the sexual effects of spina bifida on people with vaginas who have spina bifida. It's horrible that we're not doing that, and... God, burn the patriarchy down. Burn it to the ground. If you're somebody with a vagina who has spina bifida, I want to hear from you. Come on the show. Let's talk about it because we need to get this out there so this can be studied more, so that people with vaginas with Spina bifida can feel supported and like they have support. God, that's horrible. Um, We definitely need to study this more, so please come on the show and talk to me about it. It won't be a study, but it will at least get the lived experience out there, which I think is really important. Spina bifida is the most common neural tube defect affecting 1 in 2500 births worldwide. And then when I was googling that, I saw somebody had googled which celebrities have spina bifida and I was like, "Let's do that." So let's see which celebrities have spina bifida. The most famous celebrity that I think people will know of is John Mellencamp. He had spina bifida and survived a surgery back in the day when it was way more common for babies with Spina Vivida to die. He survived and um, he... he That's cool that, that John Mellencamp had Spina Vivida and had surgery to correct it. But not all people with Spina bifida need or want surgery to correct their disabilities. Other artists and famous people with Spina Vivita are Frida Kahlo, the artist, amazing. Jim LeBrecht, who is a producer and sound designer. And was he the exec he was was he a I think he was either a I think he was a producer on Trip Camp. really cool. Um Jim, if you want to come on the show and talk to me, I would love to have you. Cool cool. cool. Um Renee Kirby is an actor, and they have Spina bivida. Trying to see what they were in. I can't see it here in the Google. Um, but Gene Driscoll, a wheelchair racer and Olympian, also has Spina bivida. Cool, cool, cool. So if you're ever feeling like you're alone in the world, there are some really cool and famous people that have had Spina bivida too. Just before we close off here with this episode, I found a link to a question that somebody types in, in Google. How does Spina affect someone emotionally? And it said that many people with Spina find it very difficult to manage change, which can cause a lot of anxiety. Things change and this is often outside of our control. Some people become anxious about trying new things or trying to control all aspects of their life with new rituals or routines. And I fully understand that. As somebody who needs full care, not and not having the same disability, but needs to be able to adapt on a dime, I know that anxiety, and I know how hard it is to deal with those things emotionally. So, if you're living with spinal every day and you want to come on my show and just have an emotional dump on the show and talk about all those feelings, I think it'd be really important and really cool for people to hear that, um, and for people to. Listen to how how Spina Bifida plays a role in your life emotionally. I'd love to have any SB folks on the show, and if you've been on the show and you have SB and you want to come back and talk about it more openly or how it affects you more, I'd love to have you on as well. So consider doing that with me. Um, but. That's all I got for now. If you want to learn more about Spina Bifida, you can do Google on your own and see what's out there. But I hope that this gave you a really kind of brief overview on what Spina Bifida is, how it affects people's lives, um, its history, some of the mythology around it. And um, I hope that if you run into a sexy person with SB, you um, take them out on a date. And thanks for coming to another episode of What's Your Condition. Right here on Disability After Dark. All right, friends, well there goes another episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories, with me, your host, Andrew Gerza. If you wanna follow my work, you can head over to my social media, Andrew Gerza Six on Instagram, Twitter, and tiktok although i never use it if you want to follow my website and find out about my speaking opportunities my gigs and ways to have me come to your event go to www.andrewgerza.com if you want to support the podcast you can go to patreon.com slash disability and you can get the show days early completely ad free and a shout out on the air So if you want to support the show, you're able to do that. And please, please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help shows like this about disability, which are very rare, get supported. Thank you so much for being with us, and stay comfy, cozy, and crippled. Until next time. Bye! Copyright notice. Disability After Dark was created, recorded, and produced by Cripple Co. Productions and Andrew Gerza. Any and all use of materials, graphics, audio recordings, etc. cannot be used or distributed without express permission. If you would like to use an episode of the podcast or license an episode of the podcast on your website, please consider emailing Andrew Gerza and Cripple Co. Productions at disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com. Copyright 2023.